0: And I want to be able to, for us to grapple with the things in the Bible that don't make a lot of sense to us. And what I have found as a student of the Word, is that I believe it's all God's Word, but some of it doesn't make a lot of sense sometimes. You know, and sometimes God's ways and purposes are challenging to us. And what I always want to do as a Bible teacher is I don't want to try and make the challenging thing not challenging. I want to allow the challenge to be there so that we can grow.
1: Sometimes things just don't make sense. You can't wrap your head around it. Well, today, Pastor Daniel shares that there will be times when you can't make sense of what God is telling you in his word. You'll be encouraged to lean into the unknown and ask God to help you understand. Don't put God in the box of your human ways of doing things, but let him help you wade through your questions. You might find that you know him better on the other side. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Deuteronomy chapter 20, as he begins his message, Rules of War.
0: All right, let's open up in our Bibles to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 20, Deuteronomy chapter 20. As we continue our study here, as leisurely as we like to do it, through the Bible, here in the fifth book of the Bible, the last book of the Pentateuch, the book that we know as Deuteronomy. And you know, I've said this Probably almost every message that Deuteronomy, it literally means, Deutero means it's second, and Namos in the Greek is law. So this is the second telling of the law. See, Moses received the law at Mount Sinai, and he delivered it to the children of Israel when they were there. But remember, they wandered through the wilderness for 40 years because of the rebellion. And now they're standing on the precipice of the promised land, and Moses is about to go home to be with the Lord. And so he is reiterating to this emerging generation, this new generation, this is the purposes and plans of God. Now, I've entitled Deuteronomy chapter 20, The Rules of War and this entire chapter literally has to do with the principles governing warfare for the children of Israel. Now, you might think to yourself, wow, okay, so there's like talks about war in the Bible. But one of the things I love about the word of God is that it's real life. Anybody ever have a conflict before? Yeah, pretty much everybody, right? Yeah. So the reality is, is that because we live in a broken world, in a fallen world, conflict is inevitable. And so, because conflict is inevitable in a broken world, even sometimes we're not trying to create conflict, but conflict comes finding us or somebody is in a mood, right? You ever meet somebody who, like, every once in a while they're in that mood, they just want to kind of mix it up a little bit? And so, when that happens, how do we carry ourselves? And so, these things, you might say, well, I can't believe this is in there, but it's in there for a reason. And also, as we're going to see, is that God's ways in the midst of war Sometimes they're very logical and sometimes just don't make a whole lot of sense to us And this chapter is going to kind of touch on all these different pieces You know, for me, if you've been here at Crossroads, you've been, you know, studying through with us One of the things I love is I want to let the Bible speak And I want to be able to, for us to grapple with the things in the Bible that don't make a lot of sense to us And what I have found as a student of the Word is that I believe it's all God's Word But some of it doesn't make a lot of sense sometimes You know, and sometimes God's ways and purposes are challenging to us. And what I always want to do as a Bible teacher is I don't want to try and make the challenging thing not challenging. I want to allow the challenge to be there so that we can grow. Because what I have found in that the most challenging parts of the Bible, as we spend our time seeking the Lord on it, we say, Lord, I don't understand what you're doing or why is your ways these ways? Oftentimes God will give us some insights that we maybe didn't have before. So I don't want you to be scared of the challenging parts of the Bible. And I don't want you to sanitize the Bible either. See, that's what people have a tendency to do is they're like, well, there's scary parts. I don't want to do the scary parts, so I just don't read the Bible. No, there are challenging parts in there. But don't sanitize it either. Because oftentimes, God's ways are raw. You know, and we have to get comfortable with that. I know that we live in a culture where everybody wants everything fit nice and in a nice, simple box, right? A little bow on it. Hopefully, our name is on it. You know what I mean? And we like our theology that way, where everything's so neat and tidy. But if you read the Bible long enough, you realize that if you can put your God in a theological box, then you're not worshiping God, you're worshiping your own mind. You know, And so there's always aspects in the scriptures that there's a lot of mystery involved, that God, it is infinite wisdom, doesn't make a whole lot of sense to our finite minds. And as a Bible teacher, I don't want to make everyone feel better by putting God in a fake box. It's really I'm putting a fake God in a fake box. We worship the true and living God. And so sometimes stuff's challenging. And there's some stuff in here I'm here to tell you in advance. Some of this stuff is challenging. So look what it says. Deuteronomy 20, verse 1, it says... When you go out to battle against your enemies and see horses and chariots and people more numerous than you, do not be afraid of them. For the Lord your God is with you who brought you up from the land of Egypt. So it shall be when you are on the verge of battle that the priest shall approach and speak to the people. And he shall say to them, Hear, O Israel, today you are on the verge of battle with your enemies. Do not let your heart faint. Do not be afraid and do not tremble or be terrified because of them. For the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you, against your enemies, to save you. Then the officers shall speak to the people, saying, What man is there who built a new house and has not dedicated it? Let him go and return to his house, lest he die in battle and another man dedicate it. Verse 6, also, what man is there who has planted a vineyard and was not eaten of it? Let him go and return to his house, lest he die in battle, and another man eat of it. Verse 7, and what man is there who is betrothed to a woman and has not married her? Let him go and return to his house, lest he die in the battle, and another man marry her. The officers shall speak further to the people and say, what man is there who is fearful and faint-hearted? Let him go and return to his house, lest the heart of his brethren faint like his heart.'" And so it shall be when the officers have finished speaking to the people that they shall make captains of the armies and lead the people. Now, we begin here with a few things. It begins when you go out to battle against your enemies, not if. It begins with when. Now, you've got to realize that the children of Israel are on the edge of the promised land and Part of them receiving the promised land is they are to engage in what I would call a special battle because God is wanting to dispossess the nations who have been living in that land. And we're going to see more about that. So it is an expectation of the Lord and of his people that when they go into the promised land, there is going to be war as going to be a part of them taking that land. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit, but I want you to notice it's not a if, it's a when, Right. And in some ways for us, each one of us is also called a part of God's special battle because each one of us live in the midst of a spiritual battle every single day. Our world is rife with a spiritual battle. And I'm here to tell you, it's not if you find yourself in a spiritual battle, it's when. You have to realize that, that we experience life in these physical bodies, but there is a spiritual battle that's raging every day. And the realm of the spirit is always pressing into the physical realm in all sorts of different ways. But what happens is, is because we forget that there is a spiritual realm that is pressing on into this physical world, we have the tendency not to realize what is going on. But you have to realize, even right now, each one of you are in a spiritual battle. And everybody around you, there's a spiritual battle that is raging, and it's part of us, our calling, and our equipping in the Spirit as the people of God to engage in that battle proactively. So you are in a battle right now. You might be like, well, I don't feel like I'm in a battle. I'm actually kind of having a good time. But you're in a battle just the same. And the sooner we become comfortable with the fact that every single day there is a battle that rages for the souls of people, Then all of a sudden, once you realize that you're in a battle, you you start to think differently about life. You could still enjoy life, but you think differently about it. So this is not like a if you're in a spiritual, you're already in one. If you're here today and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, well, guess what? There's a spiritual battle keeping you away from Jesus. And guess what? If you are here and you're in Christ, there's a spiritual battle trying to weaken your walk with Jesus. See, when someone puts their faith and trust in Jesus, it's not like the devil's like, oh, oh good, so they're a Christian, I'm going to leave them alone right now. No, what he does is he, he backs up and he, he tries some new strategies. Why? Because the devil does not want someone who's walking with Jesus to be following hard after Jesus. He wants us to be complacent. He wants us to be lazy. He wants us to be a mixed multitude. He wants us to be half-hearted, kind of in, kind of out. Because he knows a soldier in this battle who is divided is not a problem. But the last thing Satan wants is for ordinary people like you and me to be all on fire for the Lord, waking up, being like, Lord, will you use my life today to bring glory to you and bring blessings to people and see many people to come know Jesus. And Lord, I will do anything you ask. Lord, if you tell me to do it, I'm going to do it. Satan's like, no, I don't want to have to deal with that person. So he's going to do everything. He's going to throw the kitchen sink at you just to keep you from being there. And I think for a lot of us right now, that's exactly where you are, where it's like the battle that is raging to keep you from truly stepping into who you are in Christ, you've bought into that thing, and you're like, it's not like you're not a follower of Jesus, but you're really not, you're not a force to be reckoned with. When you wake up in the morning, Satan isn't like, oh man, I gotta deal with them again. But I want all of you to be on Satan's hit list. Because the way that you're living and the way that you're pursuing Jesus and you're waking up and you're just so overwhelmed by the grace of God that all you can do is praise God. You're like, Lord, I am yours. Lord, will you top me off with your Holy Spirit? And Lord, I want to be a force to be reckoned with for good in a world full of you, light in a world full of darkness. And when you start waking up that way and you start walking through your days and you're like, man, that was a God thing. And now look at what the Lord is doing. See, then all of a sudden, you're like on Satan's deck of cards. You're like the king of spades or whatever, the queen of hearts. Or he's just like, man, we need to you know, take those guys out. And I'll just be honest with you, every day I say, Lord, I want to be Satan's most wanted. I want my life to be so profoundly in the spirit that every time I wake up, Satan's like, oh no, not that dude again. Right. Like I know my wife and kids already say that. I just want Satan to join them, you know what I mean? <laughs> But you know what I'm saying? It's like there's a spiritual battle raging and I, like we want to be, we want to be ready for that. Now, for the children of Israel, they realize that they're a small nation who was subjugated for hundreds of years and so they're going into the promised land and they are definitely the smallest army going in. All these cities and all these different things, they are way more organized than the children of Israel. So it says, when you go into a battle against your enemies and you see horses and chariots and people more numerous than you, do not be afraid of them. See, so he's saying, look it, you are the underdog going in, right? He's saying, but when you go in and when you see horses and chariots and when you see your little army, you see a huge army, don't be afraid of them. Now, that's a great thought. Okay, so when you're the underdog, don't be afraid. You're like, well, that's great, but where's the logic in that? But at the end of verse one, it says, for the Lord your God is with you who brought you up from the land of Egypt. He's saying, listen, the reason you don't have to be afraid because you're the underdog and your army's small and you don't have horses and chariots is because the Lord your God is with you. I'm with you. And he's like, I remember I busted you guys out of Egypt like no one's business. You know, and so there's this rehearsal, once again, of the Exodus narrative. God is saying, listen, Egypt was the world empire, and I busted them up with no problem. And he's saying, so these nations you're going into, guess what? I got this. And in the same way, like for you, when you're looking at the battles in front of you and the battles that are around you, you might say, man, oh man, this is just too big. I mean, how are we going to accomplish this? And it says, no, don't be afraid, Why? Because God is with you. And what has the Lord done? The Lord has delivered us from our sin. God has delivered each one of us who's in Christ from our own personal Egypt. Egypt is the world. He delivered us out of that slavery to sin. And if God can take my sins and separate as far as me as the east is from the west, whatever other battle I got in front of me, that's small in comparison to that big battle that God already won for me through the cross and the empty tomb of Jesus. So it's an argument from the greater to the lesser. He's saying, look, the battles you're going to face are going to be substantial, but they're nowhere near as substantial as what I did for you. And so for you, listen, don't be afraid because God is with you. The Bible says that God will never leave you nor forsake you. Jesus said, lo, I am with you always, even into the end of the age. We like to say Jesus is at street level. That wherever we are, Jesus is real and he is right there. And really what he's saying here, he's reminding us of Romans chapter 8, verse 31, which says, if God is for us, who can be against us? See, one with God makes us an unbeatable majority. My pastor, John Henry Corcoran, used to say, you and God in any crowd is a majority. So don't be afraid because God is with you. And for the children of Israel, he said, look, I'm going to be with you. I brought you out of Egypt. So in verse two, it says, so it shall be when you're on the verge of battle that the priest shall approach and speak to the people and he shall say to them, hear, O Israel, today you're on the verge of battle with your enemies. Do not let your heart faint. Do not be afraid and do not tremble or be terrified because of them for the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. So when they're on the verge of battle, the priest comes on out, and the priest has a job in preparing the army for battle. And really what he's doing is he is reminding them not to be afraid. See, and in some ways, according to our Bibles, we believe in the priesthood of all believers, that we are a kingdom of priests. Do you know you're a priest? That's why you don't have to wear a funky collar. I want to look at the next verse and say, hey, priest. Go ahead say Tell them, hey, priest. That's kind of freaky, isn't it? You never thought of yourself, but you are. See, each one of us, our job is to be an ambassador for the Lord to people. And so when someone's in the battle, each one of us, like this priest, has a responsibility. Hey, listen, when someone's fearful, they're on the verge of battle, they're in the midst of it. Hey, listen, don't be afraid. You know what? God's with you. God's with you. You know, I'll never forget this. My middle daughter, Maranatha, she's, we like to call her the boss because she totally is, you know? And so I'll never forget. It. So my dad and, and my mother passed away and so my dad's been remarried. This, uh, my We call her Nana. Just an amazing lady. And we were walking out of a store. They came to visit us and Maranatha and Nana were holding hands, like having some girl time. And Nana said, well, you know, that made me scared. And Maranatha looked at her and she was like sick. She's like, well, Nana, don't be afraid. Jesus is with you. You know? And I was just like, yeah. You know, like my girl, you know? And it's like, but it's so simple, but you know what's amazing? When the moments that we're afraid, we forget that, right? The fear grips us so profoundly that all other understandings kind of fly out the window because fear takes up so much space. But when someone says to you, oh, listen, listen, don't be afraid. God's not with you. That's the priest's job, just to say, listen, I know that you're scared. We're on the verge of battle, but guess what? God is here. And so I just want to encourage you with that. I think tonight, tomorrow, maybe already today, you've talked to people and they're fearful. Just say, them, listen, I know you're afraid. And I realize there's a battle ahead, but listen, the Lord's with you. And that awareness is so powerful. So the priest, they give this fourfold encouragement. He says, don't be faint hearted. Don't be afraid. Don't be terrified. Don't give way to panic. Like you guys are going to be fine because the Lord is with you. Notice, it says he goes with you, he'll fight for you, and he'll save you. I love that. God's presence, right? God's being on the offensive, fighting for us, and then God's protection in saving us. That The presence of God brings all those things, and that's who the Lord is, and so the priests go and they minister. And then we find next that the officers show up and the officers begin speaking to the people. And we get the exemptions from military service. So what we find is that the armies assemble, but the officers are going to go and say, listen, if anybody, the first exemption in verse five, if someone who has a house, they bought a house, they built a house, but they haven't had an opportunity to dedicate it or to live in it. He said, listen, go home and live in your house. Unless you die and someone else gets to live in it. So you get to enjoy your new home, right? In verse 6, you get the second exemption. If you've planted a vineyard, but you haven't been there long enough to enjoy the fruits of the labor, then go home, enjoy the fruits of your labor, and then come back and fight another day. Right? So if you haven't enjoyed the fruit of your labor. The third exemption, of course, in verse 7, if there is a man who is betrothed to a woman and has not married her. Now, remember in Jewish culture, their culture was not like ours where you got together or whatever you dated or whatever you courted or whatever you guys call it and feel comfortable calling it. You know, and then you get engaged one day, and then one day you have to get engaged, you get married. So in that culture, it was arranged marriages. So a marriage would be arranged by your parents, and then when you started to get a little older, you went into the betrothal period, which was you were legally married, but the marriage had not been consummated. So it'd be like when you got, in our culture, it'd be like when you got engaged, When you got engaged, you were legally married, but you haven't become, you know, you haven't consummated that relationship, right? And so he's like, if you're betrothed, so if you're in that, you're legally married, but you don't live together, you haven't become one flesh spiritually, physically, socially, in every way possible, right? If you're betrothed, but you're not yet married, then I want you to go home, and I want you to go marry your bride, you know, and I want you to enjoy your bride, and then you can come back and fight in the battle, right? And so it's kind of cool that, you know, God's cool that way. He's like, listen, you, you know, go have fun. you get married, you know. Go on a honeymoon and then come back and fight, you know. In a sense, that's what the Lord is saying here, you know. And then what's interesting is that in verse 8, you have the fourth exemption, which is if a man is fearful or faint-hearted, let him go to his house. Why? Lest the heart of his brethren faint like his heart. So what's interesting here is that anybody who was in the army who was a coward, who was freaking out, God wanted to send home. Why? Because God knows that negativity is a disease that we pass around. He says, if you're here and you're freaking out, then you're going to make everyone else freak out. And you know what? That's not good for anybody. Now, listen, you know, I'm going to make the point here that some of you are really good at being negative. And that is a disease that you are, like negativity and complaining is a communicable disease. You give that away, you know, and so don't give that away. And really, it's interesting that in a sense, negativity and this cowardice, this complaining about, oh, we're going to be in war and they're so big and I'm not going to make it, all that stuff, it's actually a spiritual problem. It's not just an emotional problem. It's rooted in the fact that they don't believe that God is God. And now listen, I've been a pastor for a long time now. I know you can't imagine, I'm so young looking and everything, but like I've gotten a couple of tire changes along the way, you know, I had to make some pit stops to get built up again, you know. But what I found is that for people who believe that God can forgive our sins and that God holds everything in his hands and that God is sovereign over everything, we freak out way too much if we really believe that. And we have this amazing tendency that when push comes to shove, we start to act like atheists. Like the world is conspiring against me and I have no hope because the survival of the fittest and I might not be the fittest, so I'm done. No, listen, we believe in the God who creates and sustains everything. So listen, if you're one of those people who either get negative, you start complaining, stop, that's a disease that you're giving to people. So don't be that person.
1: We've learned a lot about how to prevent the spread of disease over the last year. Doing those things can go a long way to protect you from physical sickness, but they don't prevent you from spreading harmful heart attitudes. Today, Pastor Daniel shared that negativity and complaining are contagious too. When push comes to shove, these attitudes reveal a lack of belief God is big enough to handle what's going on in your life. Hey everybody, this is Pastor Daniel Fusco from Jesus's Real Radio. I'm
0: so excited about what Jesus is doing through this ministry to change lives and restore his people. Would you consider partnering with us as we continue to share the message of Jesus here on Jesus's Real Radio? You can find out more and donate securely online at jesus'srealradio.com thank you for prayerfully considering this. I just want to say thank you for tuning in. I'm so stoked you're a listener of Jesus is Real Radio, and I know Jesus has amazing plans for you. I'd love to hear the story of how God's working in your life. Give us a call here at Jesus is Real Radio at
1: 360-256-4655, or email me at real at danielfusco.com. Make sure to tune in again as Pastor Daniel will share that peace is always the first goal for the believer. As you continue to study the rules for war that God laid out for the Israelites, you'll discover that he wanted them to work for peace before going to war. This is true for you too. You'll be encouraged to live at peace with others as much as it's up to you. The first step for those who follow Jesus is always to try for peace. There's more to come from Pastor Daniel's series called Blueprints. Please glance at the clock right now and make plans to join us again for another edition of Jesus is Real Radio.